0: that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Litmer. I am one of the elders at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I'd like to begin this episode by turning in the Bible to Matthew chapter 21, where we will be looking specifically at verses 28 through 32. But before we read those verses, let's set the scene that is before us. This was Tuesday of the Lord's final week before his crucifixion. On the previous Sunday, he had made what is often referred to as his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. On Monday, Jesus had once again cleansed the temple, something he had done three years before at the start of his ministry. About this, Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 and 13 tells us, and Jesus entered the temple, and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Now it is Tuesday, the next day, and Jesus has once again returned to the temple. As he was teaching there, certain of the chief priests and elders of the people came to him upset about what he had done the day before and about the reaction of the people toward him they asked him the question in verse 23 by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority either after the conclusion of his answer or during the course of it jesus spoke the parable found in verses 28 through 32 here's what he said but what do you think a man had two sons And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, The first. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, and you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. I believe that there are two applications that can be made of this parable. The one is primary and the other is secondary, but both of them are of great value. The Lord here used two sons. And you know when you get right down to it, there are two types of people in the world. Those who do God's will and those who don't. In this particular case, we see one refusing to do God's will, then repenting and doing it. We also see one promising to do the Father's will, and then failing or refusing to do it. In the temple before the gathered crowd, Jesus put this question to the chief priests and elders. Which of the two did the will of his Father? They were forced to answer. They could not hide behind feigned innocence. All of the people gathered there in the temple to hear Jesus knew the answer to the question, and I believe that it was the chief priests and elders who were forced to answer. They admitted that it was the one who first refused but later changed his mind, who ultimately obeyed the will of the Father. The second son, the one who said he would and then didn't, portrays the attitude of those very religious leaders who were forced to answer the Lord's question. The application is so powerful. Tax collectors and prostitutes had refused to obey the will of God. Yet when they heard the message of repentance, many of them turned to God in obedience. The religious leaders, who presumably were experts in the law of God, put on an outward show of obedience and compliance but inwardly they refused to accept the word of God. That was true whether that word had come via the prophets of old, the spoken word of John the Baptist, or even the words of Jesus. They were like the son who said to his father, "'I will, sir,' but did not go." I would like to make another more specific application that is valid and fits into the overall message Jesus was seeking to convey, the need to accept and do God's will. Again, there are two kinds of people, those who keep their word and do what they say they will, and those who don't. The parable shows that the person who refuses to do what is asked of him, but subsequently changes his mind and does the task, is better than the one who promised to take care of the obligations, but then never does. Let's go now to the great Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. I want to focus upon chapter 5, verses 33-37. It is the Lord speaking, and he said, Again you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vow to the Lord. But I say to you, Make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes yes or no no anything beyond these is of evil now we can search the old testament and we won't find the exact wording of the traditional teaching jesus mentions here more than likely jesus was giving a summary of the lost teaching concerning oaths from such passages as leviticus chapter 19 and verse 12 where we find you shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of your god i am the lord The old law sought to regulate what was already a prevalent practice and it wasn't difficult to understand. The problem came in the application of the regulation of the law. Apparently the scribes and Pharisees saw the teaching of the old law concerning oaths as permission to be less than truthful when a person was not under oath. In other words, if you were under an oath to God to do something, you better do it. But if not, you could be less than truthful in what you say. Personally, I believe the clearest and most powerful teaching in the Old Testament concerning the need to be truthful and to do what we said we would do is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 2 through 7. Solomon wrote these words, Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort, and the voice of the fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. It has always been true, and it doesn't matter what dispensation of time we are talking about. God expects his people to keep their word. Back in the Sermon on the Mount, the evil Jesus addressed in Matthew chapter 5, verse 34, when he said, make no oath at all was not actually a prohibition against taking any oaths, but against lying and deception. Indeed, the apostle Paul used oath-like expressions in many of his epistles. For instance, in Romans 1, 9, Paul said, for God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. In Romans 9, 1 and 2, he wrote, I am telling the truth in Christ, I am not lying, My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and increasing grief in my heart. In Galatians 1, and verse 20, he wrote, Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. The Lord in just a few short words swept away all of the vain oaths of the Pharisees and their deceitful practices. He did it by making the observation that there was nothing by which they might swear, be it heaven or earth, Jerusalem, or even their own heads, that was not ultimately tied to God and his power. The point was that every single word a follower of the Lord utters, whether under an oath or not, is before God and must be the truth. A simple yes or no puts a man under no less obligation to tell the truth than does an oath. The practical lessons to be learned from this teaching are profound. Beginning with, we owe our brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as all of our neighbors, absolute truth in all our words, or we should say nothing at all. Of all people, followers of the Lord should be the most truthful. It's not always easy, but it is always the case. There are so many times when we might be tempted to lie, to just not tell the truth. Perhaps we've said something about another person that was unkind, and that in itself is a sin, only to have our unkind remark make its way back to the person. When confronted by the person, we have an option. We can either tell the truth and say, yes, I said that, and accept the consequences, or we can lie. Children so often, when confronted with something that they did that was wrong, will say, I didn't do it. We understand that children are learning the need to be truthful, and while there may very well be punishment for lying, we do understand. It is not understandable when the adult is a liar. It is even less understandable when that adult is a child of God. The Apostle Paul told us in Colossians 3 and verse 9, Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. He made the same point in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, where he wrote, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Just for a moment think about marriage. How many men and women have we heard promise that they would love, honor, and cherish each other until death causes them to part? At times in our society as many as one half of those people have not kept those vows. How easily promises are made. How easily promises are broken. It is also true that thoughtlessness can cause us to forget as unimportant and thereby break the day-to-day promises we make to each other. I know at times I have found myself guilty of this. I say I will be somewhere to do some particular thing and then forget it. Certainly worse is to say that I will be somewhere or do something and then when the time comes, remember that I made that promise but just not do it. We all know people who will promise something and our first reaction is, well, I believe it when I see it. Why? because they have proven themselves time and again to be completely unreliable. Brethren, we have known people who have promised a way that are honored through unkept commitments, forfeited their integrity because people know that they just cannot depend upon them to keep their word. If we say we will do something, if we make a commitment to accept some responsibility, in other words, if we say, I will do this or I will do that, then of all people, we need to do it. I read a story about Alfred who was king of the West Saxons in England in the ninth century. He was said to be a wise and a just man. He was one of England's best kings and he is remembered as Alfred the Great. The days of his rule were not easy ones in England. The country had been invaded by the fierce Danes who had come from across the sea. They were strong, numerous and bold and for a long time the Danes were winning the war. After a time and so many struggles, Alfred's English army was broken and scattered. Every man had to save himself the best way he could, including Alfred. He disguised himself as a shepherd and fled alone through the woods and swamps of England. After several days, he came to the hut of a woodcutter. He was tired and hungry, and after knocking on the door, he begged the woodcutter's wife to give him something to eat and a place to sleep. Even though she had no idea who he was, she took pity on the ragged fellow. So she said, come in. I will give you some supper if you will watch these cakes that I am baking on the hearth. I have to go and milk the cow. Watch them carefully and make sure they don't burn while I am gone. Alfred thanked her for her kindness and sat down beside the fire. He tried to pay attention to the cakes, but soon all of his troubles filled his mind. How was he going to get his army together again? Even if he did, how was he going to drive the fierce Danes from English soil? The more he thought, the more hopeless the future seemed, and he began to believe that there was really no use to continue the fight. Halford saw only his problems. He forgot about his hunger, and he forgot all about the cakes. The women came back and found her hut full of smoke and the cakes burned to a crisp, And there was Alfred sitting beside the hearth, gazing into the flames. He had never even noticed that the cakes were burning. The woman said, What have you done? Now none of us have any supper. As she was expressing her anger, the woodcutter came home. As soon as he walked in, he recognized the stranger sitting at his hearth. Be quiet, he told his wife. Do you not realize who you are scolding? This is our king, Alfred himself. The woman was horrified. She ran to the king's side and fell to her knees. She begged him to forgive her for speaking so harshly. Alfred said, you were right. I told you I would watch the cakes and then I let them burn. I deserved what you said. Anyone who accepts a duty, whether it be small or large, should perform it faithfully. I have failed this time, but it will not happen again. My duties as king await me. With renewed determination, Alfred went about the task of gathering his remaining troops together and eventually drove the Danish invaders from England. Someone once wrote that if we break our word, we are breaking something that cannot be mended. I don't know that I agree wholeheartedly with that sentiment, but I do know that when we break our word, we make it a little harder for people to trust us the next time. Paul informs us in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, that we serve a God who cannot lie. God is absolutely truthful and reliable, filled with integrity and honor. It is our responsibility to be like him. I hope this has been helpful for you. Thanks for listening today.